we're not so different than our history. And how are we going to hold ourselves accountable for being a more equitable place and for allowing people who have experienced racism or who are underrepresented to have access and opportunity? We're obviously living in a time that's full of uncertainty. But what decisions can we make to create more joy, connection, and solidarity, even at work? It's a question we're all facing right now. Welcome back to Joy at Work. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman at Kearney. If you think back to last year, the conversations we all had about joy and work were a lot different than they are today. I loved hosting the first season of this podcast last year. And when I thought about the conversations I wanted to have this year, there was absolutely one person I knew I wanted to talk to again. I'm really excited to have Callie Field back, the central figure from our highest rated single Joy at Work episode last season. She's responsible for leading 14,000 frontline employees in a very tough business environment. Callie remains a true inspiration to the thousands of employees whose work she oversees. She is Executive Vice President of Customer Care at T-Mobile U.S., and you will agree that she is an absolute beacon of positive energy, joy at work, leadership, and the power of celebration. If you haven't heard my interview with Kylie last year, you can go back and listen to the story of how she went from selling phones at a kiosk in the mall to overseeing customer care at the company. Well, first, welcome back, Callie. It's great to have you back. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. And I like that intro. I'm going to play that back on tough days. <laughs> well, I've got lots of questions for you, follow-up questions on work and leadership, and in particular, how the notion of community has changed during this unexpected year. So let's get right to it. I want to hear about what's happening in your world. What has been the biggest challenge over the last several months these last six months have been um, at times the most challenging of my entire life and in other times extremely um, stimulating and uh, for a person that likes to solve problems, a lot of creative problem solving and also um, sometimes scary both in thinking about loved ones and employees and how to make good decisions for people regarding their health and wellness, both as a response to COVID-19 and also just the mental and emotional challenges that our entire country is facing. You know, since we last talked, we closed the deal uh, with Sprint. And so in addition to a massive work from home response in my customer care operations, both internally and with our external partners across the globe and the logistics that are involved with that, we also closed one of the largest telco mergers in the history of our country, and that was on April the 1st. So we have a brand new senior leadership team. We have tens of thousands of new employees and a brand new company to run. And doing all of that virtually was beyond our wildest imagination of what it was going to be like to actually realize this vision of the new T-Mobile. And so that's why I say there's there's been some incredible highs, you know, just getting to start working 
working on on merging this company and getting to know all of the new um, Sprint family members who have have joined. And anybody that's done a merger knows that if you don't get the culture right, you can really screw things up for the vision of the and the potential value of the new company. Um, and doing that remotely has really been a challenge. I was going to say I think people are doing well, but I don't I don't know if that's true, Alex, because I I feel like it changes. You know, we just had a call this morning with about twenty thousand employees across care and retail, trying to help give them tools and resources for how to be a parent and work from home, how to do virtual school for the many different school districts across the country and all of the different resources and tools and ways that we could help them be successful in also now having a new full-time job of teaching their children at home. So just when I think, okay, we got this, you know, a new, very real challenge uh, occurs. One theme that you talked about is that, you know, you have all these things coming, you've got business priorities, you've got people, health concerns, all the things that we know about. But it's also, as you mentioned in your example, how do you show caring? You know, the communication, the regularity, the authenticity. Can you speak a little bit more? How do you kept the people together? So immediately we had to figure out how to deal with the health risks to our employees. And, you know, if you can remember back to March, it felt like every day we were learning or trying to get our minds around what is this threat and how do we solve for it? And as we realized that being in enclosed spaces and breathing each other's air was not a healthy situation for our employees, we realized we were going to have to move everybody to work from home. So we went from, you know, 21 massive customer experience centers with all of this equipment and tech investment and had to rip all of that out and basically just hand off equipment to our employees and then had to help them set up their new workspaces from home. We basically took 20,000 people and put them in a work from home environment uh, in two weeks time. So that was first. It was how do we get people in a, you know, how do we take care of their safety? The second was how do we get our customers connected? We very quickly realized maybe in ways we had never seen before how essential the service that we provide is. Literally businesses, governments, and families across the country were relegated to their homes. And our service at T-Mobile was the portal to all the rest of the world. And we, you know, in customer care, we needed to be able to pick up the phone when people had issues or needed more data or they needed to add tablets because they were trying to do school from home or just, you know, a myriad of different kinds of problems to solve for customers. Also, as you started to see unemployment rise and you started to see Americans really start to grapple with some pretty tough economic challenges, how could we respond in a way that was empathetic and still profitable for the company? So that was another real-time business challenge was a brand new company coming together and also needing to respond to the dire needs of our customers and requirements from the government. And um, we certainly worked very hard as the uncarrier to uh, meet people where they were at and be creative in their ability to pay their bill or to postpone that and, and stay connected. How did you keep the team together? I mean, it just seems like a, you know, a giant chaotic set of activities and challenges there to manage. Six months ago, if you would have asked me, am I a favor of work from home as a part of my customer service strategy? I would have said, absolutely not. What we build in culture and in passion and in intensity and competition in our call centers is so important. I was so structured in how I thought it needed to be for great customer service. I was so wrong. Turns out we had our highest net promoter scores ever in the history of our company over the last three months uh, at the height of people working from home. And they've got their kids in their laps and their parakeets on their shoulders and cats crawling. I mean, I see the craziest things in our town halls. And the thing is, is that it's real, you know? It's like, we're in this together. And I think that relationship 
that we have internally flows to the experiences that we provide to our customers. The other thing I had to change was what I thought a meeting was and what I thought was important in performance. I think trauma and change is a great educator for testing. Do you have the right boundaries or have you been stuck in a rut? And I learned that I was holding on to some things that were not critical to us being excellent. So I started having virtual town halls where I have like 400 people on the screen and it's sometimes chaos. There, Like I said, I've seen the weirdest stuff in people's houses um, <laughs> in the backgrounds. But I feel like I get to come into their homes and they come into my home and it's instantly more personal. And they know things about me that they may not have known if I was walking into the call center. And the, and the same is reciprocated with them. And we've always tried to have an approach with our teams where they can do real talk. You know, they can tell me what's broken or what's stupid. And the cool thing is, is because we're making time for virtual meetings, they get access to a lot of people they wouldn't have had access to before. So if they're having a tough time with some of their counterparts in retail, I just pull the leader into the virtual town hall meeting. You know, they don't have to get on a plane. So there's this level of accessibility that's been really cool and a level of transparency because, you know, it's kind of like throw all the pretense out the door. We're here, we're in this, we're trying to survive in our personal lives and we're trying to pull off this historic merger and go after these audacious goals and um, let's just get real with each other. Th those have been really important to try and rebuild culture. I I'll also tell you that I've encouraged my, my site leaders, the directors over our customer experience centers to figure out ways to continue to recognize people and to listen to people. You said this just a second ago, how do you show empathy and create connection over the screen. And that's something that is so important to our culture at T-Mobile. And I, I really don't want to lose that. And so we've talked a lot with the leadership teams about connection, intimacy, authenticity, being genuine, and things that have to change in a virtual or video environment that you didn't really have to think about when you were in the same place together. Just a couple of points on my side. One, I think a couple of the elements of your business success and the mission of your company, I know directly, is at the heart of authenticity, availability, being unpretentious. So there's some natural migration or pivot on that point. And it sounds like you have done that. The second is, and I've seen this in other podcast interviewees and other client situations, and even in my own company, where we just had our first global town hall of 3,000 folks yesterday, that you're exactly right. The accessibility, the transparency, the immediacy, the realness of the communication just comes through. I use the analogy of the unmasking of the executive. You know, all these personas and images that you project, you know, we're, we're we're in a service business, you're in a service business, and to show who you are is part of the service, you know, that you really care. And I think that seems like it's come through in, in this challenging period of time that you've gone through with your team. You've used a lot of the elements pretty well. Well, thanks. It's been constant learning and trying out new things. You know, what are ways that we can build on culture instead of deplete it and, and just take from it? How do we invest back into it? That's been important too in navigating through what has been also very important to T-Mobile and, and personally to me really pressing on my heart and mind is you know, perhaps the most important civil rights, social justice and equality movement that we've seen since the 1960s in our country to listen to the experiences of our black employees or immigrant employees or people of color and figure out how to support them and their families and their fear and also try to break through 
my own privilege. I have felt that more in the last few months than ever in my career, just how polarizing our country is and the impact that that has on the confidence and well-being of my employees. And I felt a need to go ahead and talk about beliefs and racism and politics openly with our employee group and to ask my um, senior leadership team colleagues to do that also even if it feels uncomfortable or if we have to learn together. We've been doing a lot as a company to figure out where systems and processes exist in our own business that have the effect of being racist and unintentionally, but just acknowledging that we're not so different than our history. And how are we going to hold ourselves accountable for being a more equitable place and for allowing people who have experienced racism or who are underrepresented to have access and opportunity. And so I've been learning a lot and also working diligently to figure out what are the responsibilities that I have as a leader and executive at T-Mobile? What about our brand and how does that serve our employees and our customers? So <laughs> there is another really heavy thing going on. It's a kind of incredible time. Yeah, it's a racial pandemic, I mean, as well. And how have you been able to communicate that obvious passion for justice? Is it one-on-ones? Is it these virtual town halls? Is it, you know, fit-for-purpose meetings on this? Yeah, the first thing that I had to do was listen to underrepresented groups, people of color, and specifically Black employees talk about their experience at our company and create a safe environment where they could tell me about racist experiences they had at T-Mobile, which I was so blind to, ignorant of. And I mean, it's a part of privilege to not have to worry or experience that low-level abuse. And that was a big step for our Black employees to be like, okay, we can talk to her about this and we're not going to get fired or there's not going to be repercussions. So we had some work to do to create trust with our black employees where they had safe spaces to share their experiences if they wanted to. There is a, I think, probably natural tendency to feel shame. And then in feeling that shame, want to brush it off or excuse it or get to fixing it. And I think I had to learn to just sit with it and realize that if I wanted to be the type of authentic, empathetic leader who created opportunities for people without access to resources to give them access to resources, I had to sit with this. And then I think the next phase was get to studying, do my homework, that asking my black employees to fix this for me was not only unfair, but it's not a good strategy. And so we did a lot of things as a company together. We invited people like Jennifer Eberhardt, who wrote the book um, Biased, to come and talk about bias. We also invited Dr. Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist and is doing a lot of really cool work in his role as an academic and also as an author to talk about and define what is racist behavior and how do you dismantle it 
and give people in corporations or in families a language for identifying what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And that's part of the issue is that corporations that don't talk about racism and don't listen to employees don't have a way to identify what kind of policies might have racist effects or why they have such disparity in their leadership levels where they don't look diverse at all, including T-Mobile. And there was a lot of truth telling that had to occur with us being accountable for the whiteness of our team and and also engage with our employees on what we were going to do about that. We also, as a part of the new T-Mobile, signed a memorandum of understanding with six civil rights organizations and built an external diversity and inclusion council for people who work in this world of justice and, you know, whether it's working for um, the census or working in voter registration, just people who are better at it than we are. Like we are really good at building towers and selling cell phones. We need help and we need advice and counsel on how to break down injustices internally and then what our obligations are to our customers and to the economy externally. We signed this memorandum of understanding with 54 commitments across five different categories, corporate governance, recruitment and retention, procurement and entrepreneurship, providing wireless services for low income areas, and then philanthropy and community investment. And so we asked them to help us build a comprehensive strategy that reflected our values. And it's hard work. Like we are not all where we want to be, but we've got a good strategy and plan in place to get there. And we've been really open with our employees and our customers about what those commitments are and how we're tracking against success in fulfilling those things. I don't mean to say that we've got it buttoned up and we're we're good to go. We've checked a box. Like no, in no way are we there, but it's certainly been a, an extremely important conversation we've had, an important investment in personal development and learning for me. I mean, my social media feeds look very different today than they did six months ago. Who I want to hear from and what kind of voices I want to learn from have changed. And I think that's a good thing. Something you mentioned was very resonated with me, which is you started with the uncomfortable conversations, the courageous listening, just sitting and just seeping in the shame and the guilt and understanding something you've never seen, which reinforces the authenticity of the caring, right? Whether you can actually have a magic wand to fix things, no. But it seems like a step to the atonement and the reconciliation. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that obviously in this crisis, based on the COVID response of your team, the net promoter score was at an all-time high. How did the employee scores also fare during this period of challenge as well as the pandemic? We've got a mixed bag of results. We So we do monthly surveys for our, our employees. We call it ready to rocket. When we had everybody working from home, they were elated. Like I had the highest ready to rocket scores ever because people felt safe and they felt cared for and they felt like, oh my gosh. Plus they've been asking me to work from home for years. And so they were like- <laughs> You're giving it to them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they're pretty much loving that. And I don't know if I'll ever get them back into the call centers um, because they're, um, it's so many great stories about how, you know, hey, had two hours of commute time every day. I don't have to do that anymore. Or, you know, just all, all kinds of, of benefit. 
we saw our leave of absence cut in half. We saw our absenteeism cut in half. So like our occupancy, those care metrics were just popping because we had so much more availability than before because people were able to take care of the things that ordinarily they couldn't when they had to come into the CEC. So there was a lot of goodness operationally. But I say they're mixed because I don't know about you, Alex, but a lot of this has been exhausting. Trying to figure out how to navigate life in COVID is exhausting and add to that people's family members and friends getting sick or loved ones or their significant others losing their jobs and then now being the sole provider for their family. You know, this has been tough. It's been a really tough time. So I think there's a level of low grade exhaustion and just a heaviness that people are carrying in addition to the stress and burden of work. For instance, I was not aware that in the virtual environment, my frontline teams didn't have the same access to a tool that showed them how long they were on the phones and what the availability was. I didn't realize that that wasn't a virtual tool, that that had been specific to their pods back in the sites. So they've been running blind without an essential tool to do their business and then getting pressure to perform in those areas, but not having the right tools in order to succeed virtually. And we just keep uncovering things like that in our business where just by virtue of the fact that they are at home and not together in a pod, they get less information, they get less communication, they have less resources and tools. So that's why I say there's been some mixed bags where I, I get a lot of feedback about that. We also did quite a few things to our tech's business model in order to mitigate, you know, one point we only had access to like 40% of our global care operations because say, for instance, in the Philippines, public transportation transportation was shut down and that's how 80% of people get, you know, an hour down the road into Metro Manila is because they take the public transportation. And so there were some real challenges in staffing, which means the internal teams who are on the phones are under that much more pressure. Callie, you mentioned this concept of exhaustion, which we all know. I'm curious, how did you, how have you personally coped through this three years and six months phenomenon <laughs> here? Um, how have you kept yourself sane? <laughs> I think the verdict might still be out. I will confess to there's been times where I have been curled up on the floor, tears, just hoping that I was enough for the challenge. You know, just, just to be real honest, like just hoping that I was making decisions that were good for people. And we also as a business had to navigate a pretty a devastating hole to our business because we had to shut down all of our stores for a while. And that combined with this new company and uh, wanting to deliver a great quarter of earnings, which we did do, which was awesome. But those were really unique leadership challenges for me. And so I'm not sure that I had a good understanding of in the moment, is this going well? I mean, I do, am I doing the right thing? But there's been some beautiful parts to it as well. And I, on my virtual town halls, I actually start out with my directors in particular and ask them to share with me, you know, what's been saving your life right now? Good question. Yeah. And it goes everywhere from silly to, you know, just tear jerking. You know, we have different conversations than we did six months ago. We create space for more personal, emotional things than what we did before COVID, before working from home, before people having to confront feeling isolated or cramped. It's been interesting. Have you, have you guys seen that? It's, it's a, something I've noticed. No, I think there are remarkable, remarkable similarities. Obviously, there's a regularity of communications, a transparency, the vulnerability comes through. So I think you're exactly right, Callie, that, you know, it's okay to be real. It's okay to be raw and in the moment and available. A lot of leaders like yourself step up to it and people respond. 
And it's pretty clear that's happened. A couple more questions for you here. Even before COVID and even before social justice revolution, you were going to have a merger of two different companies. And obviously, employees on both sides have their trepidation and concerns. How were you able in this environment, the macro overhang that we just talked about, get people aligned and be reasonably joyful, aligned, connected? In some ways, talking about hard things like death or health or personal things like racist experiences or what that means to us or our own privilege has meant that we've gotten to know each other on a much deeper level much more quickly than just working on our business. And so in some regards, I think it's given me the opportunity to pull the teams closer together. And, you know, on the Sprint side for customer care at Sprint, they were in a um, heavy cost reduction type of strategy for their later years. So one of the areas that they had significantly reduced costs and underinvested in is in customer service. And to get to come to those legacy Sprint team members and tell them that in their new role, we put customer experience at the center of everything that we do. And what they have to say about it is the most important thing that any executive or any leader is going to hear about. And that ways to empower them to make us better is our chief strategy. They're fired up, you know? For me, it was like really energizing to get to bring them into the fold. And for them, it was like, you know, the ties that bind were taken off. They were free. They could do the things that they'd been wanting to do for customers. So I personally and care collectively received such a huge lift and benefit from that. And that's been pretty exciting. Plus, we're doing a ton of hiring in in customer care um, because of that abundantly outsourced sprint business where I have the opportunity to build significant jobs. And, you know, that's such a great news story for, for the team. It's so great to see a culture come together and be more cohesive, even under these adverse circumstances and even under the guise of, you know, a very large merger. Now, 2020 will soon be a memory. You've had three years and six months. We've still got four months to go. I mean, it's hard to believe we're only two thirds of the way through the year. As you look back on 2020, how do you think work will change for the better? Well, I think making space for people to bring their whole selves to work is something I don't want to lose. And that happens in taking a few moments moments before jumping into the business review to understand what people are going through. And I just think that connection, I've learned this at other times in my career, but I'm relearning it and figuring out how to formalize it. I think also, I was saying this before, but the way we connect and how we encourage each other and laugh together and celebrate or give hard, you know, difficult feedback, you know, it's made me focus more on my words and how I plan the experience than really leaning into my personal charisma (laughs) to fill up the room. And I think that's something I'll carry forward as well is a lot of thoughtfulness around what those kind of engagements are going to look like. What about you? What you said resonated with me a lot. I think bringing your whole self is something that has been a hindrance to a lot of workers in a lot of sectors, a lot of companies over time. And whether it's because of racial discrimination or because you feel that you won't be valued appropriately or you're too short, too small, wrong school, wrong place, wrong accent. That's what I see a lot of. And I think for my list of diversions that I recommend to my people, there's a separate list that's just as good and just as cool and that you can share from. So I, I think what I've learned from this is, is yes, create an environment where people can be themselves and also, you know, really 
care and share at the same time. It's been great to hear your thoughts. Always inspirational, energizing, very thoughtful. And it's great to have you back on season two. Hopefully you'll be back on season three. Thanks so much for the time. Always enjoy chatting with you. If you're looking for ways to build more connection and solidarity at work, subscribe to Joy at Work wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear about how you're finding hope and joy through your work. Share on social media with the hashtag Joy at Work. If you have questions you'd like us to answer this season, please email us at joy at carney.com. Joy at Work is produced by Carney, a global management consulting firm. We help our clients reach their full potential and find the way forward even during uncertain times. Learn more at carney.com slash joy at work.